That's a clip from the Steve Martin movie, The Jerk. Uh, it tells the story of a boy who's born poor, makes a fortune only to lose it all again. And uh, yeah, truth be told, we all have a little bit of jerk in us. We all find ourselves unsatisfied with the, the station in life, the, the unsatisfied with the things that God chooses to give us. We want more, more, more. We, we think we need more and more and more to be satisfy. Well, this morning we're going to continue our series, Can You Relate? Each week we've been exploring different relationships, and this morning we're going to explore our relationship with money, with our stuff. And I have to tell you, I was planning out this series, uh, and I met with our growth group leaders, and I told them what I was planning. I said, you know, each week we want to talk about different relationships, and, and I asked them, they spend time discipling people every single week, and I said, what kind of relationships would be good for us to focus on in this series? And and then we had a good discussion. They mentioned some things and uh, some things I was already thinking about. But then they mentioned uh, this, this relationship with money. And that had not been part of my plan originally, but it was a good idea. So I, I crowdsourced this message this morning. I'm like a millennial. I crowdsourced stuff. And our growth group leader suggested it. I'm going to go with it. And, uh, and yet, trying to encapsulate all that the Bible teaches about money is pretty difficult. Like, I've got a couple of different books. I've got two different books in my pastoral library that are everything the Bible says about money, both books. I'm like, why didn't they just get together and write one book? But, uh, but they're big books because the Bible has a lot to say about money. In fact, uh, Jesus talks more about money and possessions more than he talks about marriage, more than he talks about prayer, more than he talks about heaven and hell. It's been estimated that one-sixth of Jesus' teaching is focused on our money and our possessions. So it's kind of hard to know even where to start talking about money and stuff. But there is another way that I crowdsourced this message. I was, I was thinking, I was praying about what passage would be helpful for us, because I don't want to just share you know, my opinions about money. We'd all be toast if we did that. We need God's wisdom, we need God's word. And I was just thinking about that and praying about that. I was praying with a person who had no idea uh, anything about the message, anything like that. And, and as we were praying together, they brought up this passage that we're going to talk about this morning. And I don't really remember much of the rest of the prayer, because I thought to myself, yes, thank you, Lord, that is it. That's the passage. So all that to say, I got high hopes this morning for our time together. The Lord has already been at work. He's been at work through our growth group leaders, and, and I know he's going to be at work during our time together this morning. And so we're going to start looking at this, this passage that on the surface has nothing to do with money. Like, that's part of the reason why I know it's the right passage for us today. It has nothing to do with what we want to talk about. And yet at the same time, it has everything to do with what we want to talk about. Because throughout this series, Can You Relate?, uh, you might have picked up on a, on a theme of sorts, an underlying theme. Each of these relationships that we've talked about, every week, the bottom line really comes down to our own heart attitudes. In every relationship, God is primarily concerned with our heart attitude, our, our attitude towards our children, or our attitude towards our family, our attitude towards Him, our attitude towards the world. It all comes down to our heart. And so at the risk of, of giving away today's message on page one, our relationship with our money, it all comes down to our heart attitude. Just like Steve Martin, we might think one thing or say one thing, but when the rubber hits the road, when the, the chips are down, so to speak, when it, it's when our heart attitude shows up. Our heart attitude is revealed in those kinds of moments. And all too often when it comes to our money or our stuff, our heart attitude reveals that we're really all about us. I need this and I need that. Our heart reveals the truth about our attitude towards our money and stuff. And so the big idea of this passage we'll look at today, the big idea of this whole message 
is that it starts with the heart. It starts with our heart. It's Valentine's Day at the end of this week, so maybe that'll help you remember that the heart is where we start. So the passage we're going to look at today, it doesn't specifically mention money, but it does say a lot about our heart attitude. We're going to look at Psalm 50 today, Psalm 50. As you're finding that in your Bible, the book of Psalms right in the middle there, let me just give us a bit of context. This is a psalm written by a guy named Asaph. Asaph wrote a handful of psalms that are there collected in the Bible, and this is one of them. And Asaph was a worship leader, a musician under King David. So the psalms were, the psalms were presumably set to music at one point in time. You could say this is a, a song about our hearts, a love song, if you will, like a fitting for Valentine's Day, right? And since we're talking about money, it's worth noting that this psalm, Psalm 50, it's in a, a collection, a group of psalms that all relate to the security of God's people. Like, we tend to connect our money to our security. Like Steve Martin, we think if we have the stuff we need, then we can feel secure. We find our security in our stuff rather than finding it in our relationship with God. And so this psalm is a collection, all of, uh, in a collection of psalms about the security of Jerusalem, the security of God's people. And we're not going to uh, put it up on the screen. It's too long for that. I'm just going to read it to us. And uh, so you can follow along in your own Bible, your phone, or you can grab a Bible out of one of the chairs near you. So let's take a look at uh, Psalm 50 and what it has to teach us about our own attitude towards our things. Psalm 50 starts off this way. The Mighty One. God, Yahweh, speaks. He summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. From Zion, the perfection of beauty, God appears in radiance. Our God is coming and he will not be silent. Devouring fire precedes him. A storm rages around him. On high, he summons heaven and earth in order to judge his people. Gather my faithful ones to me, those who make a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, for God is the judge. Selah. Listen, my people, and I will speak. I will testify against you, Israel. I am God, your God. I do not rebuke you for your sacrifices or for your burnt offerings, which are continually before me. I will not take a bull from your household or male goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and everything in it is mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer a thanksgiving sacrifice to God and pay your vows to the Most High. Call on me in a day of trouble. I will rescue you and you will honor me. But God says to the wicked, What right do you have to recite my statutes and to take my covenant on your lips? You hate instruction. You fling my words behind you. When you see a thief, you make friends with him and you associate with adulterers. You unleash your mouth for evil and you harness your tongue for deceit. You sit maligning your brother, slandering your mother's son. You have done these things and I kept silent. You thought I was just like you. But I will rebuke you and lay out the case before you. Understand this, you who forget God, or I will tear you apart, there will be no one to rescue you. Whoever offers a thanksgiving sacrifice honors me, and whoever orders his conduct, I will show him the salvation of God. So it's a, it's a psalm about security, and at the same time, you probably picked up right from the beginning that it's a psalm of judgment. 
the psalm begins with God, and it's a very powerful picture of God. He, uh, he summons the entire earth, all that he rules from the rising of the sun to the setting. He rules it all. He, he summons heaven and earth in verse 4 to stand as, as witnesses as he judges his people. And, and based on the description we get of God in verse 3, he means business. But it's important to note that this is not a judgment for for passing sentence on. This is not what God has in mind here. He's not judging all people in the way that we might think. He's not necessarily out to condemn. Instead, God is bringing judgment so that his people can bring the truth to light. So ultimately, it is a psalm of judgment, but it's designed to be a, a call to repentance, a call for people to change their ways. And that's good news because it means that there's hope for us. There's hope for us to, to realign our hearts when it comes to our attitude about our stuff, our money, our other resources. We don't have to wander around like Steve Martin grasping onto things. We can change. We can realign our hearts to the place where they need to be. So ultimately, this is a psalm of judgment on the attitude of our hearts. We start... With the heart. And in this judgment, God specifically speaks to two different groups of people. Two different groups are addressed. And I think in those groups, we can all find ourselves. Whatever heart attitude you have towards money, and especially towards money as it relates to your relationship with God, uh, trusting God to meet your needs, giving to the church, those kinds of things. Whatever your attitude is, you fall into one of these two categories. And God has a message for each of us in these two camps. So as we go through this psalm, I really want each of us to start with our heart. (coughs) To search our own attitudes about money and stuff and to find ourselves, to find out which of these two groups we fall into and how God wants us to change our hearts. So the first category of person that God addresses is people who go through the motions. They're doing the right thing but they're not necessarily doing it with the right heart attitude. We'll call them hollow givers. Hollow. They're giving But their actions are are disconnected from their heart. It's hollow giving. And God has a specific message for them, for people who go through the motions. Look at verse 7. Listen, my people, and I will speak. I will testify against you, Israel. I am God, your God. I do not rebuke you for your sacrifices or for your burnt offerings, which are continually before me. So notice God says he, he will not rebuke this first category of people for doing the right things. These are folks who are, are doing the right thing. They're, they're faithful believers. God says they're making sacrifices. So these are the kind of people who are going to church, who are giving regularly, that sort of a thing. They're doing the right thing. And yet God understands that they have a heart attitude problem. Their actions are hollow, just going through the motions. They need to change their heart. So he warns them. And and what's the warning that God has for them? The warning is not do something different. No. It's do it with the right heart attitude. That's the message of judgment that God has for this first group. Don't just go through the motions. Start with the heart. Let your heart drive your actions. This hollow giving, this going through the motions, it looks a little different for different of us. This is the category of person who, when there's trouble, when when something happens, they they turn to these rituals. They double down on actions. God tells these people, your sacrifices are continually before me. They're, They're doing the right thing over and over and over again. They show up to church each week. They give faithfully their 10%, their tithe. These people are without fail doing the right stuff. And it's important to repeat, God specifically says, I do not rebuke you. He doesn't say, stop doing that. His concern, though, is that their actions aren't always aligned coming from the right heart attitude. 
So these people keep these attitudes, they keep, they keep doing these things, and they kind of get lulled into a trap. They get lulled into thinking that their actions, their giving, earns them something from God. They start to think that their obedience to God earns them some credit from God. It makes me think about something I saw on TV the other week. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was out of town, and I was by myself, staying at a hotel by myself. And so, end of the day, I was tired. I'd been working hard all day. I thought, I'll just turn on the TV, see what's on TV. Now, I don't have cable at home. I very rarely watch TV unless it's football. Uh, I don't count that. So I had no idea what I should watch. I, I just started flipping through the channels. And uh, the first eight or ten channels that, I, that came up were all religious programs, like all sorts of religious programs. There's a Catholic channel. There's a channel that was all like worship music videos, all kinds of different preaching going on, like probably eight or ten religious channels right off the bat. I was surprised by that. Uh, but since I'm a professional Christian, I thought, well, I'm going to check out some of this stuff on TV, right? And most of it was really weird, frankly. Like, I could see why people give Christians the, the side eye. Like, if that's the only exposure you had to Christianity, no wonder you'd stay away from church. But, uh, but there was one show I stumbled on. It was called Ask the Pastor. And, and I thought, well, okay, well, this might be interesting. So I flipped it on, and it was a, a panel of like five or six different pastors, and each one of them sitting at a desk, and they had their big Bible and a pad of paper. And, and, and people would, would call in, and these pastors would you know, look up, you know, they'd call in with questions, and people would look them up, and they'd take turns answering these questions. So it was kind of interesting, you know. And I watched it for a few minutes, and they answered some questions. I don't remember what it was. And then the host took a little break. And in the break, he was talking about how you could financially support this show, Ask the Pastor. He talked about ways to give and what kind of things your money would do, all those kind of things. So, so far, so good. Nothing out of the ordinary. And then things uh, got weird because right after that, he started talking about how if you give money to this ministry, God will bless you. Like he drew a, a thick, straight line from giving to receiving God's blessings. And that's just not the way it works. That is a false Unbiblical teaching we call the prosperity gospel, the, the idea, the false idea that God wants you to be happy and healthy all the time, and if you just give enough money, you'll be blessed. But no, it does not work that way. I cannot say enough how dangerous that kind of teaching is. In fact, God directly addresses that kind of fundamental idea here. And, and maybe you're a person who's in this first category, a person who knows what's up. You're doing the right thing. The person who's smart enough to see through the lie of the prosperity gospel, right? Which is no gospel at all. It's not good news because it depends on you to, to give and work and strive to earn blessings. But uh, understand that Jesus has done all the work. That's why his last words as he was on the cross dying for our sins were, it is finished. All striving, all earning is done. He earned we get the blessings not because we're obedient. We get the blessings because he was obedient to the point of death. That's the true gospel. So maybe you're a person who gets that truth here. But I think a lot of us, we do the right things here, but we still have a, a faulty view of, of giving and what it means to be generous here in our heart. We have a faulty view of how we should relate to our resources. We can say in our heads that that prosperity gospel is wrong, but when it comes to our own giving, we tend to fall in line with this attitude. We tend to think that our obedience earns us some blessings. Our heart attitude is just off. So that when difficulties come into our life, when a hardship comes, we have a hard time with it because we're like, hey, God, I've been, I've been giving faithfully for a long time. I've been doing all the right stuff, and, and this is how you repay me? Just like Steve Martin, when the rubber hits the road, we find out where our heart 
really is. And what we need from God is this warning, this reminder in Psalm 50. And truth be told, this, this faulty view, it's not entirely our fault because God's economy is totally different from the way the world works. Like if in the world, if you want something, you pay for it. You go out and you work, you earn it, you pay for it. That's how the world works. You pay for things, you get them. That's why the prosperity gospel is on 10 cable channels. That's how the world works. We pay for things that we want, we pay for things we need. And many of us, even though we we know that God doesn't really work that way, we let that kind of thinking creep into our heart attitude about money and our stuff because we think that if we give, God's going to bless us in some way. Or we give because we know it's the right thing to do. We give out of duty to God. Or we give because if we don't, we feel guilty. All those things are really just hollow giving, just going through the motions. But this psalm, God specifically pokes a big hole through that kind of thinking. As God talks to this first group of people, people who do the right thing, he gives them a very powerful reminder. Look at verse 9. God says, I will not take a bull from your household or male goats from your pens. He says, I won't take your money. For every animal of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for the world and everything in it is mine. God makes it very clear that he doesn't need anything from us. The cattle on a thousand hills belong to him. That's a lot of cattle. In fact, every creature of every kind belongs to him. He somewhat sarcastically says that even if he needed something, he wouldn't ask us because he doesn't need anything. He owns everything. So the idea here that even if we give something to God, we're giving him his own stuff back. Everything we have is given to us by God. So when we give, we give God his own money back. So the reminder for us, it goes right against this attitude that our right actions, our obedience to God does him some kind of favor. God still wants us to do the right thing. He still expects us to give, but he expects us to do it with the right heart. We start with the heart, letting our actions flow from a grateful heart, not a guilty heart. That's what God is ultimately after. If you're in this first group You probably know that the the tithe is the biblical standard for giving. A tithe, 10% of your income goes to God, right? What you might not know is that that's an Old Testament rule. It starts in the Old Testament. But nowhere in the New Testament are believers in Jesus commanded to tithe. Nowhere. Now, before you get too excited, in the New Testament, we look to Jesus as our example. And he gave everything. That's the new standard, not 10%. But 100%. And it's not because God needs anything. It's because God wants our heart, all 100% of our hearts, devoted to him. And the way we demonstrate that devotion is giving. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean we've got to give all 100% of our income to God. Although we did have a person try that a couple of years ago. He'd set up with his bank to have money automatically withdrawn and sent to the church. But uh, they goofed up and they had his entire paycheck sent here, all 100%. <laughs> So he had to call and get his money back. That was awkward. But, uh, but even though Jesus has set total sacrifice as the model for us to follow, the actual dollar amount, it's up to us. Our actual dollar amount, it flows out of our heart attitude. 
living a generous life because that's what God has done for us. He sacrificially gave for us. He gave his life. God so loved the world that he gave. It starts with the heart. There's a second group here in this psalm, a second group that God judges. Look at the next section. It starts in verse 16. But God says to the wicked, What right do you have to recite my statutes and to take my covenant on your lips? You hate instruction and fling my words behind you. When you see a thief, you make friends with him, and you associate with adulterers. You unleash your mouth for evil and harness your tongue for deceit. You sit, maligning your brother, slandering your mother's son. You have done these things, and I kept silent. You thought I was just like you, but I will rebuke you and lay out the case before you. So the second group is what we might call hypocritical givers. Folks who who might do a little here and there, but their actions are, are completely separated from their heart. God tells them they're paying lip service to him, but their actions, their hearts are in the wrong place. And you'll remember with the first group, God specifically said he he won't rebuke them. But with this group, it's the opposite. In verse 21, God says, I will rebuke you. God tells this group their attitude is wrong. Their actions are wrong. They need to change. You can't just show up a bit here and there, uh, do a little bit for God, give occasionally if you have some extra money, expect that some good things are going to happen as a result. Uh, I told you just a moment ago that model for giving all throughout the Old Testament is, is what we call the tithe, giving 10% of your income, your first fruits to God. Well, this second category of givers, they're not even doing that, much less following the model that Jesus sets for us. And if that's you, if you're a person who isn't even hitting that 10% mark, then this is a warning for you. God says he's kept silent up to now. He's let things go, but not forever. Hypocrisy catches up to all of us one way or another. But the warning is not, hey, you better give me money or else. No, no, that's the false lie of the prosperity gospel. If you don't give money to God, he will punish you. No. God reminds all of us that the cattle on a thousand hills belong to him. He doesn't need your money. What God wants is your heart. He wants you to respond to him from the heart. When you really understand and embrace what God has done, given us through Christ, that should spur each of us on to genuine devotion to God. Not just lip service, but genuine, willing devotion to God. A hundred percent. God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. So the reminder for this second group is just the same. Start with the heart. Align your heart to God. Start to really embrace what he has done. And then you find out that he really can be trusted with the big things and the little things. So you can start to trust him more and more, and that trust shows up in our actions, giving money to God because we trust him to take care of us. For both of these groups, God has a plan. Uh, God has a desire for how each of these groups can change their heart attitudes. Look at the end of the first section, verse 14. Offer a thanksgiving sacrifice to God. Pay your vows to the Most High. Call on me in a day of trouble, I will rescue you, and you will honor me. So God's plan for the the first group is to offer a thanksgiving sacrifice. That kind of sounds like one more thing to do, one more box to check, but before we talk about what that means, look at God's solution for the second group. At the end of the psalm, verse 23, whoever offers a thanksgiving sacrifice honors me, and whoever orders his conduct, I will show him the salvation of God. 
So notice God tells this second group the same thing. Offer a thanksgiving sacrifice. So what is God telling us here? Well, this psalm in the Old Testament and throughout the Old Testament, God created certain types of sacrifices that were required. When people gathered for worship or when people sinned against God, there were requirements for how they would uh, demonstrate their devotion to God. And then there was the Thanksgiving offering. This was not a requirement. This was an offering people could make whenever they felt like it. Just a, a special time to say thanks to God for what he's done. In other words, it gives us a chance to let our heart guide our actions. So for people who contend toward hollow giving, the Thanksgiving offering is a spontaneous giving from the heart. It's not going through the motions. It's motivated by the heart. And for people who tend toward hypocritical giving... This Thanksgiving offering is a chance to really express gratitude towards God, to stop, to do the right thing in a meaningful way. So the solution for each group is to become a heart giver. The Thanksgiving offering is a good step for both because it starts with the heart and it flows out of that. Uh, Not out of a flawed way of thinking and living, but out of a genuine heart gratitude. So that's my encouragement to each of us. Whatever group you find yourself in, there's something for all of us here. If you're a person who gives regularly, who does the right thing, but maybe your heart's not always in it, take a step back. Remind yourself why you give. Preach the gospel to yourself, the true gospel. Remind yourself that Jesus was obedient to the Father, even to the point of death. And it's his obedience that gives us a right relationship with God, not our own. We don't have to earn God's love or God's blessings because we've already been given every blessing through Christ. And once you've reminded yourself of that, once that truth has penetrated your heart, then let it show up in your actions. Let your giving be out of gratitude, not obedience. But maybe you find yourself in this second group. Maybe you're a person who shows up here, plays nice for an hour on Sunday, but the rest of your life maybe doesn't quite line up the same way. Well, God's judgment for you is a second chance. God is giving you mercy, giving you a chance to do the right thing, to align your heart and your attitude together, align to God. And that's not some effort you've got to work towards. That's not something you have to work hard to accomplish because Jesus has already accomplished it for us. Jesus' perfect obedience to God makes it possible for us to live not as hypocrites, but as people who can follow God with our whole hearts. Jesus gave himself as a gift to you and to me so that we could live free from hypocrisy. And notice the message for those who continue on in hypocrisy. Verse 22, God tells us this. Understand this, you who forget God, or I will tear you apart, and there will be no one to rescue you. If we continue on trying to live apart from God, there's no hope for us. But contrast that with the message that God has for those who put their trust in him. Verse 15, call on me in a day of trouble, I will rescue you. If we call on him, if we put our trust in him, he promises to rescue us, to rescue us from our own sinful hearts. What God wants from us is our heart, all of us. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need us to earn blessings from him. He gives us everything we need through Christ. All there is to do is to align our hearts to him and let our actions flow from a grateful heart. We start with the heart. Let's pray. God, we thank you 
We thank you that you have indeed given us everything we need. And uh, we pray that you would forgive us for those times when we forget that, those times when we try to to work and earn and and do things that we think are going to impress you or somehow earn us blessings, Lord. We want to have the right heart attitude when it comes to our money, when it comes to our resources, Lord. We want to be using those things for you, (coughs) for your glory, not for our own uh, benefit, our own blessing, not out of guilt. Uh, Help us to have the right heart attitude. And uh, we can't help but think about your son Jesus, who uh, not only uh, fed 5,000 people, but he is the bread of life. He's done everything that needs to be done in order to give us a great, uh, healthy, and vibrant relationship with you. And so we want to live fully into that. Let our heart of gratitude for what you've done for us already uh, drive us to live a life of sacrificial generosity. And we pray these things... In the name of your son, Jesus, amen.